0: Before we dive into today's sermon, let me just open us up in a word of prayer before we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. We pray that you would speak to us today through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the various texts that we're going over. We pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to our minds. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Phil mentioned, today we're going over the misconception of, I go to church, so I am a Christian. It is the idea that I go to church, and now I am in the club. Now I go to church, now I am a part of this group. I go to church, now I'm good, that's all I need. A quote that's been attributed to evangelist Billy Sunday says, going to church doesn't make you a Christian anymore. Then going to a garage makes you an automobile. This is a misconception that I've heard ever since I was a kid and I was fortunate enough to grow up in a house that taught and stressed the relationship of having an, a relationship with Jesus and teaching the life the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, teaching that it is not the church building that saves you, but stressing the importance of having a relationship with Jesus, repenting from our sins, and accepting the forgiveness that is found only through Jesus. I know that people would say that they are Christian because they attend church once or twice a year, or they might have a higher attendance than that, but they're not really sure what they believe about God, but they just go to church because that's what you do. As a kid, I remember at the end of the school year, all the kids who had a perfect attendance would get an award for having perfect attendance. I and I never and those kids never missed a single day of school that year. And I look back at it and I remember I generally missed school uh, once or twice during the school year, so I never got that perfect attendance award. Cue the sad music. <laughs> the good news is for those who didn't have a perfect attendance in school, like me, is that God doesn't look at our church attendance and say, all right, you attended church this amount of times, you're good, enter in through those pearly gates right here. God also doesn't say, Well, I noticed that you slipped up and you attended Bedside Baptist or Church of the Holy Comforter with Pastor Pillow a few more times than I would like. So he does not say that. And I'm not saying that it I'm not saying that being around other believers is not important. We'll talk about a little later in the service about how connecting with other believers and connecting with others is a very important thing to do. But what I am saying is that the good things that I do, the moral acts that I do, my attendance does not earn myself into the presence of a holy God. God doesn't declare me righteous based on the works that I do. He does not declare me saved based on the things that I do. Really what this misconception of I go to church so I am a Christian boils down to is a works-based understanding of things. I do good acts, I do good things, therefore I am a good person and will move on to whatever state that exists beyond this life. Almost every religion, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, or just the modern day spirituality that exists within our westernized culture will tell you that you need to do this amount of good work or do these certain good deeds and you will achieve the next steps in life. You will achieve nirvana or eternal state of blissfulness or paradise. And the one problem that arises is that there's no level of certainty. There's no level of assurance that the work that they did or the things that they do earn themselves into paradise or whatever the next life is. Today we're going to walk through why having a perfect attendance in church works-based faith is not what God wants for us. Instead, he wants to have our hearts and wants us to have new life in him. We will talk about eternal life through belief in Jesus, how we are dead to sin and alive in Christ, and how it is extremely important to connect with other believers. Our first biblical insight today is eternal life is through the belief in Jesus, So if you look at the scripture that's on the screen right now, a lot of you might recognize that, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I know that some of you can recite this verse in your sleep and some of you are having flashbacks to where you were a kid reciting this in church. But this is the key to understanding where the beginning of our faith starts and is the foundation for what we as Christians believe. Eternal life, salvation is found through the belief in Jesus. What's interesting about John 3 is that this is a conversation that is happening between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus a Pharisee, so he's a teacher of the Jewish law back in the first century, and for those who are not familiar with who the Pharisees are, the Pharisees follow this law strictly. They have the entire law, the entire Torah memorized, which the law is Genesis through Deuteronomy. So if you know how long that is, that's a long section of scripture that they have memorized. And they also created a lot of traditions and a lot of rules. On, what, on top of what was stated in the Old Testament. They are highly respected members of their society. For example, one of the rules that they set, God said that honor the Sabbath and have a day of rest. And the Talmud, which is added traditions of the Pharisees, said that there were a max number of steps that someone could walk on the Sabbath in order to qualify it as a day of rest. To say the least, Jesus has a very interesting relationship with the Pharisees. With a couple exceptions, Nicodemus being one of them, almost every time Jesus interacts with the Pharisee, it was a major standoff. If it were a movie, every time the Pharisees walk in, there would be dramatic, tense music playing in the background. We will talk about that more later, but we also know that Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council for the Jewish people, so he was very wealthy and a very influential individual in that time. Jesus is not making a good impression on the Jewish leaders at that time, and you can see this by when Nicodemus decides to meet with Jesus, he meets with him under the cover of darkness at night, so no one will know that they're meeting. Jesus and Nicodemus have this conversation about the importance of being born again. Nicodemus is confused, and then Jesus says that those who believe in the Son of Man will have eternal life, and then the story ends there, and it ends on John's reflection on John three sixteen through verses 20. Nicodemus was a Pharisee who was generally interested in what Jesus was saying. Nicodemus recognized that Jesus was a teacher from God, and from what we can interpret in the scriptures, he was receptive to Jesus' work, and Jesus was welcoming of Nicodemus' inquiry. From what we can see, Nicodemus has the right heart posture and is welcoming of Jesus, whereas most of the other Pharisees do not like Jesus and are not receptive to what he has to say on their traditions. And this is where we see those tense standoff music moments. For example, this comes in Matthew 15. The Pharisees start to complain to Jesus and his disciples that they are breaking the traditions and the rules that they have set. And Jesus is not too kind in his response to them and tells them that the traditions and the rules that they have are breaking God's commands and nullifying the word of God. Then Jesus quotes a passage from Isaiah 29 which the Pharisees would be extremely familiar with. Remember, these people are experts in the Old Testament. The context of Isaiah 29 is that this is before the Israelites are sent off to their exile and the Lord is speaking to his people, to his leaders and says, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that have been taught. Jesus is saying straight to the Pharisees, saying, you come near me with your mouth and you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Your worship of me is based on merely human rules that have been taught. Can you imagine hearing that? Ouch. These words that were said in Isaiah that Jesus says to the Pharisees are words that we need to be constantly reminded of today. God desires our hearts, and in 1 Timothy 2, Paul writes that God wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth of those who believe in Jesus will not perish, will not die, that those who believe in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection will have eternal life. You might ask how this is done. How do we believe in Jesus Christ? I'm glad you asked. Biblical insight number two is dead to sin and alive in Christ. <laughs> Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God Really, I wanted to put all Ephesians 2 up on the screen, but I can't really do that. The text is extremely, it would be extremely small, and it would probably be about size 3 font on the screen there, and you'd probably need to bring binoculars to see it. But if we are saved from something, we are brought into something else. One time, Allison, my wife, and I were golfing on the golf course earlier this year, and there was a turtle that was on its back in the middle of the fairway, so it was upside down. We both looked around and were very confused about how a turtle can end up on its back in the middle of a fairway, there's no one around. So we just took the turtle, we flipped it back on its right side, and then it just little Tommy the turtle scurried its way off to the pond. And I was curious and Googled it, and apparently some turtles go on their backs for fun. I didn't, realize, I didn't realize that, but there are certain kinds and certain types of turtles and tortoises that when left on their back, they can actually die on their backs. Now, I didn't Google which tortoise, tortoises and turtles are that kind, but for the purpose of this illustration, that, tortoise, that turtle was saved from death <laughs> into life. It was saved on the back of its shell, incapable of doing nothing. And it was saved into new life, being able to walk and being able to enjoy the water in the pond. Now I know this is a ridiculous illustration, but we, according to Paul in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our transgressions and we were dead in our sin, incapable of doing any good, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, deserving of the wrath of God, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by the grace, it is by grace you have been saved. And then you move a couple of forward verses for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God and not by works, so that no one can boast. We, as human beings, as people, were dead in our sin. Apart from Christ, we are not able to do any good. All we want to do is gratify the cravings of our flesh. And in Greek, in this context, the word flesh is referring to the sinful state as human beings. And this is something that Pastor Dominic discussed last week about the natural tendency of our heart and the misconception of always following your heart. This is counter to where our culture is today. And whenever I hear, I can't believe someone would do something like this. I think to myself, people are sinful and when people are left to their own devices, people will do dumb and hate and hurtful things and I'm really more shocked when I see someone do the right thing. We were dead in our sin, always wanting to gratify the cravings of our sinful nature, and we're deserving of God's wrath because of our nature. Us, doing the wrong thing, breaking God's commands, while in that state, because of God's great love for us, God so loved us, the world, that he sent us his son to pay the penalty for all of our sins on the cross, and he rose from the grave. And because Jesus is alive, that is why we can say that we are alive in Christ. For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith in Jesus. It is by the work of God that has been done Grace is defined as something that I receive, that I don't deserve. It is something that you receive. It's not by the works that you do. And Paul then explains why. It is so that no one can boast, which being boastful and prideful is a natural human tendency that God hates. Just read the book of Proverbs and you'll see God's view on pridefulness and boasting in yourself. The main point that I'm making here is that no matter how many Sundays that you find yourself in a church building throughout the course of your life, that will not earn you into God's presence. What does matter is that you receive the free gift of salvation that is found in Christ Jesus. You could sit in a church pew, but sitting in a church pew won't save you. You can just be like the turtle on your back struggling all your life, but no that it is only Jesus who saves. And what I'm not, what I'm, in everything that I'm saying right now, I'm not saying that going to church is not important. I'm not saying don't go to church. When I'm referring to church, I'm using it in the context of the body of believers. The church of Jesus Christ, those who have repented of their sins, turn to him for new life. And the church building that we have is an absolute amazing resource and tool that we have that helps to connect with God, connect with others, and to connect others with God. But it's just simply a tool to carry out our vision as a church of Jesus Christ, as the church of Maple Plain Community Church. And this moves us to our next insight, which is found in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. And the biblical insight is to connect with others. So Hebrews 10 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This hope that the writer of Hebrews is writing about is that hope that we just talked about. The good news that we just discussed, eternal life in Jesus. The reason we connect with other believers is to spur one another on toward love and good deeds and encouraging one another. When the writer of Hebrews says that we are to spur one another on toward love and good deeds and not give up meeting, that is to help encourage each other toward love and good deeds, because we need it. We are not made to be in isolation, and it is not intended for us to do this whole following Jesus thing alone, and that's why Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs in Luke 10. The description of the fellowship of believers in Acts 2 is a beautiful picture of what the early church, of of the early church, and this is after Pentecost, then the writer of Acts, who is Luke, writes on the Christian community and fellowship as the early church took form. That's so what it says in Acts two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers together had all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a beautiful picture of how the early church operated and functioned. And I think that the key points that we can take away here are the importance of meeting together as a community and going through scriptures together as a community, just as we're doing right now. And this is why we as a church have it as our vision to connect with others. There are many different offerings, many different... Bible studies and life groups that are launching this fall that we would love for you to be a part of if you're not a part of one. And you can see all of our Bible study groups and life groups that are available online right now on our website. We'll also have a handout uh, available within the next couple weeks, so uh, stay tuned for that. But in closing this section, I also want to mention that one of the fastest growing churches in the world is the Underground Church in the Middle East. I just watched an interview with a missionary in the Middle East last week and heard about how Jesus is appearing to people in dreams and visions and how believers are facing extreme persecution in these regions and that they're meeting in secret because if they're found out, they're gonna go to prison or they're going to die. And I guarantee you that they don't meet every 9 a.m. in a pew on a Sunday morning. These missionaries who are going into these areas to preach to these people literally just mention the word Jesus. And eight out of 10 people will just come, boom, right on the spot. They'll come to Jesus. Because all the dreams and the visions that they are having about Jesus. These people know that if they turn to faith in Jesus, they know that they face prison or that they face death. And some of the missionaries that we support here at MPCC are, are in these kinds of countries where there's a reason why we cannot publicize their information on our live stream or on our website. And that we should always remember to be in prayer for these brothers and sisters who might just connect a little differently than we do here, and pray for the people of these countries that the church would continue to have an explosive growth and that people would come to know Jesus. And to wrap all this up, just because someone walks into a church building and just because someone sits in a pew and sings a few songs and talks to some people on a weekly basis Does that mean that they're saved? Does it mean that they have eternal life with Jesus? I've known a few people who have served in various volunteer positions in churches for decades that don't really know the true message of the gospel. The lights still haven't clicked for them. And this is the good news that we need to hear, whether this be the first time hearing this or whether it is the 7,000th time hearing the news, that the Lord that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord repents of their sins, turns to Jesus, through faith, will be saved, and has eternal life through the name of Jesus. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, through the gift of life that comes through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would continually open our eyes to the beauty of your life, your death, and your resurrection. Whether this is the first time that we heard this message or we've heard this since we were a child, I pray that we would continually be reminded of the fact that there is nothing that we could do that could earn ourselves into your presence but that is solely by the blood of your Son on the cross, by his resurrection, that we are able to stand before you and say that our defense is Christ's righteousness in us. Help us not to give up meeting and community as a church, as some are in the habit of doing, but help us to spur one another on towards love and good deeds and encouraging each other until we see you come again as our coming king. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.